0: Welcome to Epic. So glad that you're here with us today. And let me go back to what, one thing that Chris was saying in the announcements there. I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who served on 3G Saturday in any capacity, whether you're a leader, or volunteer, whatever you did. I had the privilege of going all around our county and visiting each of those project sites. And it was so amazing to go to each site and watch you in action being the church. So God's asked of us, he's asked, don't just go and do church, he's asked us to go and learn how to be the church for each other and for our community, and I gotta tell you, I just went home so incredibly honored and proud of you for doing that. So way to go, Um, thank you for doing that. We've got a video that we're gonna try to put together and show next week so you get a glimpse of some of those projects, it was so great, and I'm gonna save some of my remarks for next week for that as well. So um, anyway, thank you for doing that. Now, if you're new with us, today we're in part three of a series called Your Questions, Biblical Answers. And in this series, we're trying to answer some of the questions that our church family asked back a few months ago. We gave everybody an opportunity to ask any question that they had about faith, God, Christianity, and we got a lot of questions turned in. And so what we did is we took those questions, we put them into categories because some of them were very similar and we've come up with the top five questions that our church family is asking. So those are the questions we're trying to answer in this series. So question number one was this. If God is so loving, then why in the world does he let bad things happen? That's a common question that most of us have. And we want to know, like, when something bad happens to us, when something bad happens to somebody else, God, why? Why has this happened? Why is this happening? Why is it happening to good people? Why does it happen to innocent people? Why does it happen period. And then the second question was this, is it possible to have faith and doubt or can I only have one or the other? And sometimes that's what we feel. We feel like if I have faith, I can't have doubt. And if I have doubt, I can't have faith. And so we get stuck in this tension between these two things that we're not sure. Like, is it possible to have a mixture of both or do we just have to have one or the other? Now, if you missed either of those messages, I encourage you to go to our website, theepicchurch.com. You can listen to them there. You can go to our iTunes account. You can listen to them from there as well. They can be a great resource to you in moments where you're struggling, trying to figure out one of these answers. Or maybe you know somebody else, maybe somebody at home, somebody at work, somebody at school who could benefit from listening to one of those messages. Now, today we're going to answer this question. There are a bunch of people that ask something along these lines. They, They said this. Here's the basic question. What happens after we die? I don't mean to depress anybody, but one day you're going to die, right? And there's something that happens after that, and I think we owe it to ourselves and to God and people we love to be prepared for that. So what happens after we die? We're going to try to answer that today. Now, a number of years ago, I was teaching on this very subject And me and a few other people came up with what I thought was a pretty creative idea, but it turned out to be kind of a creepy idea on how to introduce this subject to the people that I was talking to that day. And here's what we did. We turned our church service, Sunday morning church service, into a funeral. And we didn't tell anybody. So worship happened, announcements happened, and then six guys walked down the middle aisle and they brought a casket. It was on wheels, so they wheeled it down. It was high enough for everybody to see. They parked it right up front. They walked away quietly. One of our pastors came out, said some general remarks about someone who has died. We're going to celebrate their life. And you know, looking back, I like feel bad for the people that were there for the first time, like going like, "What in the world? Like I thought I was coming to church, and and here I am in a funeral. I don't even know this person. Like what am I doing?" And so again I was speaking that day. So the pastor prayed, walked off the stage. And I waited. Strategically waited for a few moments because I wanted people to start looking around going like, did somebody miss their cue? Like what should happen next? And then I popped out of the casket, sat up and said, "Good morning everybody. Glad you're here." And we had a few people in the front row going, "Uh oh, I think I'm going to pass out. What just happened?" Dead person came back to life. So, my goal that day was to capture attention so people would listen to what I had to say. I think I partially accomplished that. Um, Like, people uh, listened for about 30 seconds. And after that, they didn't hear anything I had to say the rest of the day. So one of the things that you'll be glad about is sometimes I learn from my mistakes. And I had thought, should I do that today? And the thought came in, and I just ushered that thought right out and said, no, I'm not going to you know, put our people through that. So I thought it was creative, ended up being kind of creepy. Um, so when it comes to this issue of what happens after uh, we die... There's all kinds of perspectives out there. Even in church world, even in Christianity, there's all kinds of perspectives. You know, some people think when we die, that's it. No more experience all you want to on planet Earth because when you die, it's over. There's nothing more. There are some people believe, some faith systems that believe that when we die, that we actually get a chance to come back and experience life again, this reincarnation thing. If you're a good person, maybe come back as a better person. If you're a really good person, maybe your soul gets absorbed into the cosmos. If you're a bad person, a really bad person, maybe come back as a cockroach and you got to work your way up. All kinds of beliefs out there. There are some people who believe that heaven is for religious snobs and people who don't know how to have fun. And hell is where the party's at. You know, At least we'll be together, You know, having fun for eternity. There are some people who think that heaven is the place where people who are good get their angels' wings and they become angels'. And the hell is the place for bad people to get their demon wings and they become demons. Again, there's all kinds of beliefs out there when it comes to the subject of what happens after we die. Now, the cool thing is Jesus actually talked about this. He actually spoke about this and he actually told a story. It was called a parable in Luke chapter 16. So if you have a Bible with you, feel free to flip over to Luke 16. If you have a Bible app on your phone, feel free to bring that up for the rest of us. The words will come up on the screen. What we're going to do is we're going to read this passage, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit, and we're going to talk about some of the other verses outside of this passage that help support this story that Jesus is telling. So here we go, Luke chapter 16, Jesus' words, starting in verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open wounds. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment... He saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, There's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send someone to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then... They will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the grave. Okay, now that was a parable. That's a story that that Jesus told. And so Jesus often would use parables to teach something that was very important. And those parables weren't necessarily true. Jesus wanted us to learn something from those parables. Now in this story, Uh, We have no indication that this is a true story that Jesus told. But just because it's a parable doesn't mean it wasn't true. Doesn't mean those events didn't happen. Again, Jesus would teach parables to teach us something that was happening or would happen. There's some very real lessons, I think, that God wants us to learn from this parable. The first one is this. Everyone will live forever somewhere. Everyone. We'll live forever somewhere. We'll either live forever in a real place called heaven or we'll live forever in a real place called hell. So in Jesus' story, the poor man went to be with Abraham. It's a reference to heaven. The rich man went to the place of the dead, which is a reference to hell. Now, let me tell you what Jesus wasn't saying in this parable. He wasn't saying... Rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. Like, aren't you glad? Unless you think you're poor. And then maybe you're a little bit happy about that. But here's what we have to do. We have to step back and we have to compare ourselves. Often we compare ourselves to the person next to us. Oh, they make more money. They drive a nicer car. They got a bigger house. They must be rich. I'm not. We never feel rich. Even people who who may be a little bit richer probably don't feel all that rich. So when we compare ourselves to the world, the, the wage earners in the world Most of us who live in the United States end up in the top 2% of wage earners in the world. So, guess what? You're rich. So, aren't you glad Jesus wasn't saying that in that passage? So, he wasn't. I'll get back to what he was saying in just a moment. Now, Jesus doesn't give us a full description of what is happening in heaven, what is happening in hell. We get these little glimpses. But what we know about heaven from this story is that Lazarus was with Abraham, the father of God's chosen people, the Israelites. Lazarus is being comforted, and he's not in pain at all. What we know about hell is the rich man was alone, and he's in constant pain, can't be comforted. Now, when we're talking about heaven, we're talking about hell, we need to define some terms. So we're going to talk about heaven for a few moments, and then we're going to talk about hell for a few moments. In the Bible, I don't mean to be too technical about this, but in the Bible, it talks about three different heavens. So when you're reading the Bible, it's important to understand what heaven is being talked about so that helps you not be so confused if you're reading through the Bible. So the first heaven described in the Bible is the atmosphere kind of that we live in around the earth. So that's where the the birds fly, the planes fly, the clouds float, that's where the air that we breathe. The second heaven is, is the outside of our atmosphere that goes all into space. Like, where does that stop? Who knows? Probably never. Uh, That's the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, everything we see through the Hubble telescope and more. Then the third heaven described in the Bible is the place where God lives, the, the unseen place where God resides. And that's often what we're talking about when we're talking about heaven. Now, this may sound a little bit weird, but that third heaven is broken into two parts. There's a temporary part, and then there's a permanent part. So in Jesus' story, he's talking about the temporary heaven that Lazarus went to. Now listen to what Revelation chapter 21 says about the permanent heaven. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. So when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom on planet earth, we won't live somewhere out there. We will live here, on a new heaven, on a renewed earth. But until then, when, when people die who are Christ followers, they will go to that temporary heaven. Now, here's what we know about the temporary heaven. It's a place of comfort. It's a place without pain. It's a place where we are reunited with other Christ followers who have died before us. Uh, Jesus called it paradise, and it's very similar to what our permanent heaven will be like. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 2.9 says about heaven. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is beyond our ability to even comprehend. That's the temporary heaven, and that's the permanent heaven. But just because it's beyond our ability to comprehend, that doesn't mean we can't have some understanding of it. So um, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.10 says this. It says, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit, for his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. So it is possible for us to have a small understanding of what heaven will be like. So listen to what Revelation 21 verse 4 says about that understanding that we can have. It says that in heaven, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So let that sink in for just a moment. No more pain. No more tears. No more crying over a loved one who died of cancer. No more suffering, no more murder, no more rape, no more terrorism, no more injustice of any kind. And I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty amazing. We're gonna live in a perfect place the way that God originally intended us to live. That sounds amazing. Colossians 3.1 says this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, so when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says you're a new person, so you've been raised to new life in Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. So God wants us to know that heaven is a real place and real people will go there. Revelation 21 describes the new Jerusalem, which is the capital, capital city of that new heaven, that permanent heaven. And it's got a wall around it, and it describes it like this. The new Jerusalem, the wall is made out of jasper. The whole city is made of pure gold, as clear as glass. There are 12 gates to the city, and each gate is made out of a single pearl. There will be no night in heaven because God illuminates the world. So there's no need for the sun. There's no need for the moon. God himself is our light. Revelation 21 verse 16 says that the city has a measurement and it gives that measurement. It is 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. It's a square. So for us to put that in context, that's like going from here up to Canada, over past Minnesota, down to Texas, and back here to, to Palm Coast. Like that is a pretty big city. Now, those of you who wonder, like, like, even though that's a big city, is it big enough? There's a whole lot of people who believe in God and believe in Jesus and have died. So is it big enough for all of us? Listen to what Jesus said in John 14, 2 to his disciples. He said, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and I'm going to get you. So that you will always be with me where I am. That's going to be one amazing day when everything is ready. There's more than enough room for all of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now, I grew up being taught this information about heaven, being taught that it's a city of gold, and I thought, well, that's pretty cool. You know, I won't have to sweep dirt anywhere. I mean, that's awesome. Um, But here's how I felt as a kid growing up about heaven. I felt like this far side cartoon. So look at this. For those of you who may not be able to read it, it's got, you know, the caption, uh, two sides. There's a heaven version. Somebody goes there and it says, uh, welcome to heaven, here's your harp. And then the bottom side, somebody going to hell, says, welcome to hell, here's your accordion. So that, you know, growing up for me, that's kind of how I felt about heaven. I I thought... Man, it sounds amazing. No more pain, no more sorrow. City of gold, that's pretty cool. But, like, what are we going to do? We're going to float around on clouds all day, being sentenced to play the harp and sing? Like, no offense if you play the harp or you sing, but, you know, I can't do either of those things. And that sounds incredibly boring, Like, how long can you do that before? I've heard this song before. I've played it a thousand times for eternity. Like, oh my goodness, can somebody write a new song? Like, like I don't know what that experience is like, but when I was a kid, that's what I thought. I thought heaven must be incredibly boring. So I better have all the fun I can here before I go there. And I don't want you to raise your hand if you felt that way, but go ahead. Like I know I'm not the only one. There's a number of us have, feel, have felt that way. But think about what that statement, what that assumption says about God. It says this, God, you must be boring. There couldn't be anything farther from the truth. What that reveals is our ignorance about heaven and our ignorance about God. God is the one who created all that this world holds for us to enjoy, and we can't even take it all in, God is the one who created love and light and laughter and pleasure and exploration and adventure. He created all of that. Again, he, he says, like, I've created everything beyond your wildest imaginations for you. And so you know, when, when I think about what heaven might be like, I think we can get glimpses of that. And the apostle Paul talks about that. He says, listen, looking at things of eternity, looking at things of heaven, it's kind of like looking through a, a very dirty window. It's kind of like you, you, you find a house in the woods or something, you're looking in, trying to see what it's like, and it's super dirty, you can barely see, but you get glimpses, you get little, little spots where you can see what's happening inside the house, and I think that's what uh, eternity is like. We get glimpses. We don't want to see the full picture, but Paul says one day, that window is going to be removed, and we will see clearly what God has prepared for us. But until then, we have glimpses. And where do we get our glimpses? From Scripture, we saw some of them. Where else do we get them? One place I think that we get them, one place that I know I get them, is from our earth, the place that God created for us to enjoy here. There are moments that I uh, travel around our earth, and I've had this incredible privilege. You know, I was over in Israel in January, had the privilege of being there and seeing what that is like, and there's some beautiful spots. I have had the privilege of going to Guatemala um, on some mission trips, and this summer we're going to take a couple of teams down there, and we got to hike a volcano. In, in Guatemala, and here's a picture of it. And I'll never forget that first time we hiked that volcano. And you know, it's only about eight thousand feet elevation. It's it's not you know the highest thing out there. But uh, I've had the privilege of cl- climbing you know as high as we could, and and standing on kind of what felt like the edge of the, the volcano, and looking out at the world below. I felt so small. And here here's what I thought. I didn't think well, this is boring. God must be boring. I mean, I'm thinking, this is amazing. I can't even begin to absorb this. I can't even begin to take this in. Um, In the fall, my wife and I had the privilege of going and seeing some of our good friends out in Colorado. And uh, we had the privilege to hike a little higher mountain. I don't know, 11,000 feet or, or above that or something. There were several lakes up there. Mountain lakes. I don't know if you've seen a mountain lake. I hadn't before, but I'm like, like there's a lake up here, and there's fish in it. And we were up where the mountain goats were coming out and roaming around. I was just hoping they wouldn't come down and want to have lunch with us. Um, but I'm up there, like I felt like I could touch the heavens, and I could because I was in the first heaven. But I felt like I could touch the second one. I mean, I was in awe of this, and I felt like, like maybe. Like Abraham would step out from behind one of the rocks and go, heaven's right up here. Keep coming, you're close. I mean, I I felt like, God, you're so amazing. I can't even take this in. I can't even fathom this. So where in the world would I ever get the thought that you are boring? Heaven's not gonna be boring. It's beyond our ability to even comprehend. It's gonna be the ultimate place of learning and laughter and pleasure and exploration and adventure. That's the kind of God that has created the universe for us to enjoy. So when we have this warped perception about what heaven might be like, we need to to get a a grasp on the reality of what heaven will be like. Now, I got to shift gears for a moment, and I apologize for this, because heaven's pretty exciting. I love talking about it. I can't wait to go there. Not today, but I can't wait to go there. I think it's going to be awesome when God decides... Um, But we need to talk about hell for a moment. In Jesus' story, a rich man went to hell. He was in constant pain. There was no escape. He couldn't work his way out. He couldn't pray his way out. He couldn't pay his way out. And nobody could do that for him. Nobody could pay him out. Nobody could pray him out. Nobody could do works to get him out. He was there in constant pain and torment away from a loving God. Listen to how Jesus described hell outside of that story. In Matthew 13, he said, hell is like a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 22, he said, hell is a place of outer darkness. And then in Mark 9, 48, Jesus described hell as a place where maggots never die and the fire never goes out. And then outside of Jesus' statement, 2 Samuel 22, verse 6, describes hell as a place of sorrows Revelation 14.11 describes hell as a place of no rest. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 and Revelation 20.10 describes hell as a place of eternal punishment and eternal separation from God. Hell is not a temporary existence. It's a permanent destination. Hell is the absence of light, love, relationships, and ultimately the absence of God. Some people think that Heaven is where God's throne is, that's where he rules and reigns, and so hell is uh, Satan's throne, and that's where he rules and reigns. Not true. Matthew 25, 41 says that hell was prepared for Satan and his demons, and Satan and his demons will spend eternity suffering like anybody else who chooses to go there. Now, the amazing thing about Christianity is it teaches we get to choose what happens After we die, we choose whether we go to heaven or whether we go to hell. It's not left up to circumstance. It's not left up to church attendance. It's not left up to us doing a bunch of good things and hoping that our good things outweigh our bad things. It's left up to one decision that we have to make. John 3.16 tells us about that. Probably the most famous Bible verse in the whole world. It says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So let me ask, how many people is this available to according to that verse? Everyone. What do they have to do? Believe. Is it based upon their works? Based upon the good things they do? Is it based upon getting a star by their name because they attended church every Sunday for their entire life? No, it's open to everybody and it's based upon belief in what Jesus did on the cross for them. So those who put their faith in Jesus when they die will be instantly taken to be with God in heaven. Those who reject Jesus and say, I don't want that, I don't believe that will be instantly taken to to an eternal place called hell. There's no um, waiting period. There's no purgatory. There's no pay $200 and get out of jail. None of that. The moment that we die, our spirit goes to the place that we have chosen, either heaven or hell. Now, here's another thing that happens after we die, and it's based upon our decisions. We will be judged. Doesn't that sound exciting? Um, Maybe or maybe not. Listen to the, to the two judgments that are described in scripture. There's a judgment for Christ followers and a judgment for people who don't follow Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.10 talks about the believer's judgment. It says this, we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. Now, this passage is not talking about whether we have gotten into heaven or not. That's not what's happening there. This is a statement about eternal rewards. We've already decided that we're gonna spend eternity in heaven, that's based upon a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've already made that decision. So this is about rewards that we will receive for eternity or we will not receive for eternity. Some people will receive more rewards. Those who say, you know, I'm really applying this stuff. I'm believing, I'm following up with my actions. I'm living this way. I'm applying what what I know of scripture to become more like Jesus. And those people that do that will get more rewards in heaven. Those people that don't go, well, there's some things I'll do, some things I won't. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm not forgiving that person. I'm not whatever. You know, and then there's less rewards that can happen. Revelation 20 describes the non-Christian's judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. Listen to how that fateful day Will unfold. Starting in verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. If you are a Christ follower, you will die one death. There's a physical death that will happen. You will live spiritually for all of eternity. If you are not a Christ follower, when you die, you will go through two deaths. There will be a physical death that happens the moment that you pass from this life into the next. And then there is a spiritual death where you stay spiritually dead forever. Verse 15 says, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So when I read stuff like that, one important question that comes to my mind is, how in the world do you get your name in the, in the book of life? Like, that's important. You know, we've heard about heaven. That sounds awesome. Hell doesn't sound so awesome. So how do we get our name in the book of life? Here's the answer. By believing that Jesus died so we can live. It's that simple. It's all about belief. It's about a decision. Now, some say, well, well, don't you have to work your way? Like, don't, don't you have to be a good person? You should, absolutely. Like, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, do you think your life will show it? Yes. If you say, I've made a decision, but my life doesn't show it, I wonder, did you make a decision? Do you really understand what Jesus did for you? He died on the cross so you could live for eternity. Our life should show that. That's an amazing gift that God has given us. So then we should prove it by how we live. But how we live doesn't get us into the door of heaven. The decision that we make to follow Jesus does. And then after that, we get into the rewards conversation. So my question for you and for all of us is, is your name written in the book of life. If you're a Christ follower, you should not think, I hope so. I think so. I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than that person. You shouldn't think that. Listen to what scripture says about that. 1 John 5:13 says, "I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life." We can know we have eternal life. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to worry about that. We can know with confidence that we have eternal life in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can know with confidence that our name has been written in the book of life. So we should live from that confidence. Now, for those of you who would say, I don't know, like I'm not sure. In just a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to make that decision today. I'm gonna give you a chance to have your name written in the book of life. And again, it's based upon a decision. It's not based upon your actions. not based upon how good you are. That doesn't get you in. What gets us into eternity with God is belief that Jesus died so that we can live. Now, the way I'm gonna do this today is a little bit different than the way that I've normally walked people through um, salvation. Normally, we do a... a a guided prayer. And um, what I'm going to do today, I've been processing this throughout the week and talking to some other staff members, and I just felt led to do something a little different today. And even this is a little different than what we did in the first service. But what I'm going to ask you to do in a moment, it's going to feel a little bit weird. But I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you are deciding today for the very first time that you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You are deciding today that heaven is the place you want to spend all of eternity. You're deciding today that you're going to follow Jesus the rest of your life. So, in a moment, so not right now, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And if you're new today and you're thinking, like, I was coming to church, I'm feeling a bit little drawn to that, that's weird. Like, I understand. I know it's weird. I get it. I understand. But sometimes. We have to do a physical action to confirm a spiritual decision that we have made. Now, does raising your hand get you into heaven? No. Okay, so when you, you know, cross from this life in the next and stand before God, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? He, you, you can't say, I raised my hand that one day. You remember? Like, you didn't write that down? Like, who fell asleep? That doesn't get you into heaven. The decision to follow Jesus gets you into heaven. Let me say a few things before I invite you to raise your hand. Number one, if you've already made this decision, you don't have to make it again. You know, I feel bad for for people who feel like they got to get saved every time it comes up that makes salvation a works. Oh, I got to believe again. Like, maybe I sinned and did something wrong. Like, I got I to believe again. I got to do it again. Like, maybe God, you know, he'll be sad if I don't do it this time. So every time you feel like you got to do that, that's a life of worry. You don't have to live a life of worry. Have confidence in the decision that you've already made that Jesus has you. Scripture is so cool about this. Jesus says, hey, those who God the Father has given me, they're in my hand. No one can take them out of my hand. Guess what? My hand's in God the Father's hands. Are you getting out of there? You're not. Can you get out of there because you did something stupid? No. Do we all follow and do something stupid? Yeah. Does that mean we're, we've lost salvation, we've got to earn it back in? No, that's about a works. It's about belief. When you're in the family of God, you're in the family of God. And Jesus says, I've got you. I can hold you for all of eternity. So rest and trust in that and learn how to become more like Jesus. So if you have already made that decision, no need to raise your hand. If no one raises their hands today, it's gonna to be really cool. I'm not gonna feel weird about that. In the first service, no one did. And that, that's no big deal. I don't want anybody raising their hand because I feel a little awkward, like awkward moment, like let me make Trent feel a little bit better. Let me kind of raise my hand so he doesn't feel so bad. I don't want that. I don't want anybody doing anything out of awkwardness or, or tension or feeling pressured, anything. This is a decision between you and the creator of the universe and sometimes doing something physical confirms that. So, enough about that. If you would like to put your faith and trust in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior for the very first time today and have your name written in the Lamb's book of life, I invite you to raise your hand. And hold it up, please, if you do, so I can actually see. I'm looking. (laughs) And I'm not seeing. I see one awesome, Anybody else? Just keep your hand up. I know it's awkward, but please keep your hand up. Anybody else? No half hands. Like if you're up, you're up, okay? Anybody else? One. Awesome. So cool. So let me talk to this one person for a moment. Thank you for your courage. What you just did takes a lot of courage. Very cool. Very cool. So what scripture teaches... As your name is recorded in the book of life, you're now part of God's family, and you'll need that kind of courage as you grow your relationship with God. So there's a couple of things I encourage you to do. One, at our Connection Center, there's a, a document called our Spiritual Growth Challenge that can help you grow your faith. Grab that before you leave. Second thing is, I hope you'll come back next week, because we're going to talk about how to grow our faith. And for everybody else, here's what I want to say to you. Um, that's, that's awesome. Maybe there's some people here who are saying, you know what, I, like, I'm still deciding. If you're still deciding, great. Keep deciding. Like, talk to God. Get your, your questions answered. God has real answers for your questions. For the, those who have a relationship with God, evaluate, the, evaluate that relationship. Are you living the way you need to live? And are you growing the way you need to grow? We all need to ask that question. So I hope all of you come back next week. Invite somebody to come with you because we're going to talk about how do we grow our faith. It's a super important question. Many of you were asking, like, I want to know how do I grow the faith that I have? So I hope that you'll come back for that. Now, I'm going to ask everybody, would you all stand with me? And um, one more like celebration moment for our one brave soul today who put their faith in Jesus. And, and I hope this isn't too weird to ask, but um, whoever that was, if, if you would come up and find me after this service, that'd be awesome. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about that. So let's pray. And uh, worship team's not coming out, so I'm praying, saying amen. We're free to go. Thanks for being here. Let's pray together. Wow, God, how awesome. You are to give us information about what happens after we die. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to go through life stumbling around, hoping or worrying. We can know with confidence that we have a personal relationship with you. And I'm so grateful for the one bold person today who said, yes, I'm in. I pray for them. I pray that they would grow their relationship with you and they they would tap into the resources that you make available to them. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us, Lord, there are some people still deciding about their faith in you. And there are others of us who say, Lord, like I wanna grow my faith. So Lord, I pray that you would guide us in that journey and show us the many resources that you make available to us so that we can do that. So I pray this week we would live to prove the decision that we've made to follow you. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray this. Amen. Thanks for being here. Have a great
1: Sunday. All righty, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to Epic Church. I'm pumped to be here today. My name is Chris. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, happy to have you here. I've got a couple of quick announcements before Trent comes out and gives us his message today. I would like to address any first time attenders, new attenders. We have what we call a connection center right around the curtains over there. It's just a table, it's got some of our literature spread out over there. One of our team members will be there. I invite you to stop by after service. We'd love to meet you and answer any questions that you might have available. So, why am I so pumped? Well, because of my shirt. It's the day after 3G Saturday. I was excited to serve yesterday. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't even get into the nitty gritty, and I'm getting applause already. Hold on a second here. So, we had 132 volunteers nine different projects. And if you total up the amount of people and the amount of time they spent, 448 man hours that our church put into serving God and serving our community yesterday. Now's when we give a round of applause for that, right? So uh, I, I want to try to touch real quick if I can on everything. I, hopefully I don't leave anybody out, but let me go through this real quick. So bear with me. Alpha Pregnancy Center Thrift Store. Team over there, demolishing walls, all right? Not just like, oh, we're going to clean up. Demolishing walls, organizing, cleaning over there. Uh, Get that store in tip-top shape. Uh, Then a really fun team went over to the Family Life Center. That's our domestic violence abuse shelter, the only certified one in the county. Our team goes over there and they take the kids and this team brings a water slide with them. Okay, A water slide, they got snacks, they got games, the kids are playing and then they take the moms and they put the moms over here and they go, hey moms, how about a spa day? And then they serve the mothers over there. So that was really cool. Uh, A talented team went over to one of our partners, Habitat for Humanity, and they laid tile in a house and in one day they completed almost the entire house. So thank you very much. That was a physical job on their hands and all day. Thank you so much to that team over there. Uh, A really large team went over to Flagler Beach by the pier and started cleaning up the beach. And here's what's really cool about that. So we have a large team. It's all epic. And then there's people that don't go to Epic. There's people that weren't there for 3G Saturday. And they're like, hey, can we help out? Absolutely. Come on in. So they jumped in and joined our church in serving our community at the beach yesterday. Uh, Grace Community Food Pantry. They had two teams out there. There's a long line of cars that are lined up. Uh, One team was serving coffee and danishes to uh, all the people waiting in line. And then the other team was over at the building and they were organizing all the food to be distributed. And then, oh, there's a great team over there. You see that picture over there? It's over at PC3, Palm Coast Community Church. The hardest work and most talented. It was Terry Harper and my team. So I have to say that. I mean, that's what it is. But anyway, really, we, we cleaned a lot of brush. We loaded several trailers worth of roots and vines and bushes. And I think I still have some bumps on my head. It was like cheap and Little. The sky was falling. I mean, we were pulling stuff down 30 feet in the air. So it was a lot of fun over there. And then not uh, lastly, but not leastly, the Windsor Assisted Living uh, Community. Or center. This is where people go, and maybe they get some visits from family, and sometimes they don't get any visitors at all. And we send a team of, of adults and children over there, and, and they've done everything from just having conversation to reading to, uh, to playing, and, and, and it is so impactful on the lives of the people that are over at this assisting living facility. Thank you for that team that went out there. And thank you for everybody that participated in 3G Saturday. It's, it's great to get together as a church family and, and serve our community and serve God at the same time. And one really uh, cool highlight before I move on from 3G Saturday is we give out surveys after the day to all the uh, volunteers from the church because we're always looking to make things better. We don't always have all the answers. So, hey, we want your feedback. We want your input. And one of the most consistent themes on the surveys was... The highlight of their day, that means the people who served, was getting to know and spending time with other members of Epic Church. And I think that's so cool because that's what we encourage here. We say we're a family here at Epic and it's days like yesterday that prove that we are in fact a family, that we actually get along with one another and enjoy spending time with one another. I know I did and we got a lot of feedback um, from a lot of people that said that they did as well. And if you missed the serving opportunity, don't worry. We have serving opportunities throughout the year. So if you check uh, your announcement sheets that are on the seats, if you check the Connection Center, you'll find serving opportunities throughout the year. And then uh, we're also gonna be gearing up to our three g Sunday, which is going to be this fall. So remember, always an opportunity over here uh, to serve. So let me move on to starting point. And why? Because starting point begins next week, April the 24th. And if you've heard me say in the past, uh, you know, what starting point is, it's just a, it's a nine-week conversational environment where you can begin to explore the story of God and how you fit into that. So if you've got questions about faith, you've got questions about the Bible or Christianity, or you're interested in learning more about who we are as a church, well, then starting point is is for you so if you want to sign up for starting point or you have already signed up and you need to get your materials right after service at the connection center tim jones one of our pastors will be there please see tim to either get signed up or get your materials so let's move on to this summer we have our middle school and high school ministry it's all these people in the green shirts, usually in first service at a huddle over there cody anderson and there you go so what they're doing is they're taking 37 of our students, our pipeline, which is our middle school, and our surge, which is our high school, 37 students combined are heading over to Panama City Beach June 13th through the 17th, okay? They're going to they're gonna get together that week and they're going to worship with about 2,000 other students, okay? They're going to hear about a God who loves them. They're going to build relationships with the small groups that they're assigned to. And it's going to be a great, great week. It's going to be life-changing. It's a week that stays with them forever. But, here's the but, it comes with a cost, okay? It's not cheap. If you put together the transportation, the food, the hotel, it's about $450 per student. Now, a lot of our students have signed up in faith and they said, you know, we're just dying to go and they're encouraged to sign up in faith and they pray about it and they look for ways to serve and ways to, uh, to raise money. So what we're asking you as a church family is to help support our students uh, in Pipeline and Surge by sponsoring their trip or portion. So whether it's $5 Maybe you got a big bonus at work and it's $450. If you're able to, whatever you're able to, it will help. It will be distributed evenly unless there's somebody specific that you target or designate. Um, And you can do that. If you choose to give a gift, just make sure that you title uh, either in the comment line or the memo line, student sponsorship. That's what you need to title it. And you're asking me, well, how do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. There are two ways that you can give here at Epic. If you've made that leap of faith in your, in your finances and you want to partner with us financially to help give back to all the things that we do here, not only just the, the student ministry camp, but and all the things that we do, there's two ways that you can give. We've got giving boxes that are set up on the tables behind the seating sections. You can utilize those, or you can visit our website, which is theepicchurch.com, and you can uh, click on the giving tab, which is right at the top, and you can give securely online. So sorry about rambling on. I know I had a lot going on over there, um, but uh, that's all I have for you, actually. So if you go ahead, sit back, relax, watch this video, and then Trent will come out and give us this message today. Thank you.